0: Pray with me. Father, as we are asking you to fill this place, we're really asking you to also fill each of us. Father, in the Old Testament, you didn't fill everybody. But because of the new covenant, your spirit has been poured out on all flesh who trust you, men, women, boys, girls. And now we are your temples. Your spirit resides in us individually, personally, as well as corporately. But still, we need the king of glory to fill us. Which means we must empty ourselves constantly of ourselves of the inbred pride and self-reliance we have to do what John the Baptist said we decrease so that Christ might increase Lord fill us King of glory fill us with your power with your love with your peace with your joy, with your hope with your courage fill us oh God Fill us with your wisdom. Some seated here today, Lord, have to make some very serious decisions in days to come. May we not get up and go out relying on our own strength. But help us to pause and to say, God, if you don't do it, it can't get done. And even now, Lord, that is my prayer. Fill me with the spirit that I might preach your word to your people. That they might be filled with the Spirit and go out and minister to a lost world. Lord, there were times when the early church would get together and they would start speaking the word to one another. Sometimes they would start speaking in tongues to you. Sometimes they would sing praises to you. Lord, I just pray that there would be a moment today where it wouldn't be the arm of the flesh, that the King of Glory would just have his way. Lord, this day is special. Because on the calendar, it celebrates the resurrection of your son. But Lord, for us who believe every day is resurrection day, every Sunday is resurrection Sunday. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask it all. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Romans chapter six? It's the book of Romans chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 1 from the New King James Version. If you don't have it, the scriptures will be on the screen. Paul says to the Roman church, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life, permit me for a moment to speak on the subject of now that you know. Because Paul says in verse two, certainly not, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? now that you know. When it comes to my hair, I can be very particular with who I allow to cut it. I've been going to the same barber for 15 years. Deacon Tony Steele of Classic Sports Shop is my barber and I'm his pastor and, and I'm one of his main clients. I tried to get there last week before I flew out of town on Thursday uh, because I did not want to go to the wedding I had to attend on Friday with a bad cut, with no haircut. So I tried to get in, I couldn't get in with Tony, so I flew to Baltimore. And I said, I'm gonna have to find a barber in Baltimore to cut my hair because, again, I'm very particular with who cuts my hair because I'm thinning in the back. I I got a hole in my natural. I I got a sunroof that's peeking through. And so if I get the wrong barber, they're going to skin me back there. So I need somebody that knows how to keep my front high and, and don't take the back down too low. So I said, who can I go to? And thank God for social media because one of my high school classmates is a master barber. Now, we went to school together and graduated together in 1986. I haven't seen this brother except on social media. We've seen each other two times in like 37 years, however long it's been since I've graduated. And uh, one time we saw each other at our high school reunion. And then my second time was when I was in his house on Friday getting my dude dead. So again, I'm seeing him do things on social media, putting up haircuts. And I said, I'm going to my friend from high school. We played on the baseball team together. Uh, He was a phenomenal talent. Uh, We all thought he would even go pro. So, and and here's another reason I went to him. I also knew that he was now a minister. So I went to his house to get my hair cut. He made special time for me at his house to cut his hair on Good Friday. And uh, it took him... About an hour and 10 minutes to cut my hair because he was praising God and singing to God and testifying. I was praising God and singing to God and testifying because we started talking about those B.C. years before Christ and what we were in high school and all that stuff we were doing back then. And to look at God's grace on our lives now as committed husbands and fathers, and in his case, a grandfather. And we just began to thank Jesus for his mercy in our lives. And my friend went in a little deeper on his testimony. and He said that uh, he went through a period of backsliding, a Christian, but he was backsliding, moonwalking like Mike into the world. And, and he got caught up. Uh, he, he left baseball and he started doing the street thing in Baltimore. And he knew a couple of the street hustlers and the kingpins in the neighborhood, and so he ended up becoming a, a large drug dealer in Baltimore. And, uh, and as a result of even being a drug dealer, he broke one of the 10 crack commandments from Biggie, and that is he started getting high on his own supply. Getting high on marijuana, and. He began turning into other drugs and alcohol, and before he knew it, he was addicted to substances, and his life was going downhill. He witnessed murders, people coming after him. Uh, it was horrible. And So he just got tired of being sick and tired, and so he decided to separate himself from that lifestyle. And so he and his girlfriend, who would become his wife and their child, they holed up in a hotel for a few days just to try to get out of that lifestyle in Baltimore. And uh, while he was there, he detached himself from his friends or from his so-called friends who he was doing dirt with and all this crime with. And so he, he's trying to detox himself, if you will. He changed his phone number so that none of the friends could call him. So he's telling me all this as he's cutting my hair and praise music is playing in the background. And he's shouting and he's praising God. And he says, Pastor, he's calling me Pastor. He said, Pastor, I was in this hotel room. No one knew where I was. No one had my number. And I was on my face rededicating my life back to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, my phone rang. I'm like, who has my number? And so after this sensational moment with God's presence, the phone rings and, and it's his main dude that he did dope with and sold drugs with and hurt people with. His main guy is calling him. And so he's like, man, how did you get my number? To which the friend said, I stopped by your mama's house and she gave me your new number. So he's immediately thinking, as soon as I make one step towards God, here comes the devil trying to take me back into this lifestyle that I'm trying to get out of. Anybody ever been there before? You know, you know, and so, so, so he's bracing himself on the phone, preparing to say no and to resist and stand up in his faith. But he heard his friend on the other end say, "Hey, man, would you, uh, would you be willing to go to church with me this Sunday? Because I just gave my life to Jesus, and I'm calling you as my main guy." Will you go to church with me? And then he testified, said, man, I just rededicated my life back to Jesus. And so ever since that time, those two who were partners in crime became partners in the gospel. And God is using these two men to transform lives in the streets of Baltimore through their ministry of outreach. And so he's telling me all this, man. We're getting excited. We're shouting. And again, just to think, That God had mercy on two knuckleheads from Milford Mill High School in Baltimore, Maryland. That Jesus not only saved us, but Jesus has and Jesus is changing us. You see, the greatest proof that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is resurrected, the greatest proof is found in a resurrected life. I'm going to say that again. The greatest way for people to know that God is real and that Jesus is alive is through a resurrected life. Paul said that we have been raised to walk in newness of life. And so people will know that Jesus is alive not because... They read an archaeology report, not because they studied history. Those things have their place and they are important. And they do prove that Jesus not only lived, but he rose from the grave. But the greatest way, the greatest evidence for unbelievers to see and know that Jesus is for real and Jesus is alive is through a believer who's walking in newness of life. The man who wrote this, uh, he had a coming to Jesus moment on the Damascus road. People knew what he was like without God, and he was religious, but he was also a killer. He was also someone who was very legalistic. He, he was zealous, but his zeal for God was off until he met Jesus Christ, and God repackaged that zeal and gave him a new mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is letting the Roman church know that there ought to be a before and an after the resurrection power of Jesus ought to show up in our lives. By the way that you are living, can people tell that Jesus is risen? By the way that I'm living, can people tell that Jesus is risen? And in Romans chapter six, verse two, Paul says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And and, and what he's getting in is the sanctification process of a believer. That we have not died to sinning, but we've died to sin. What does that mean? What he's talking about is that the power of sin over our lives has been broken because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit who now indwells us. We're not dead to sinning, but we're dead to the power of sin. Sin is no longer the engine of our lives. God is the engine, the motor of our lives, but sin is the caboose on our train still holding on. And so my relationship to sin has changed because I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. So my relationship to sin has changed because my relationship with God is life-changing. So I don't look at sin the same way anymore. I can't sin and just get away with it anymore. My relationship to it has changed because I have a life-changing relationship with God. I'm not dead to sinning, but I'm dead to the power of sin. There's been a change. There's been a transformation in my life, and it's still occurring. And in verse 3, he says to the church, Or do you not know? That is, many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. So he's trying to let them know about their position. Don't you know this? Don't you know who you are? Because once you know who you are, you will live like who you belong to. Because if the enemy can keep you ignorant of who you are, then you'll just be one of those Christians who look like the world. But if you want to be in the world, but not of the world, separated, not holier than thou, but real. Like my brother, when he was cutting my hair, telling me, telling me about how he was loud for the devil, how he did so much stuff for the devil. And now that he's Christian, you think he's going to keep his mouth shut? You think he's not going to raise his hands in church when he did all that dirt out there in the world when he was lost and backslidden? He said, no, I'm giving Jesus everything I have. And so should we. Because what we know impacts how we live. Paul said, don't you know? Don't you know? Because if you can know this, it can change you. Don't you know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Don't you know that? And for some of us, yeah, I know that. Because once you know that, that truth will set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He says you've been baptized into his death. He's not talking about water right here. Baptism is not only speaking of water and the symbolism of being buried with Christ and raised with Christ, but baptism here means to be placed into, to be identified with, to be intertwined with. And so he's saying that you've been baptized into the death of Jesus. You have been identified with Jesus. You have been intertwined with Jesus. And so Paul is speaking about one's position so that it might affect one's practice. Because once you know who you are spiritually, it affects who you are naturally. You've been placed into, identified, and intertwined with Christ. He goes on to say in verse 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so there, there, there's this thing that's going on that what happened to Jesus literally is what happened to believers spiritually. He's talking about your position, that what happened to Jesus when he died You died with him because your identity is so wrapped up, tangled up, and tied up in Jesus that what happened to Jesus happened to his followers. Even though they're not going to die physically on the cross for the sins of the world, that's impossible, but they died with Christ that day. And even though it happened 2,000 years ago, I am crucified with Christ. That's speaking of one's position. This is a spiritual transformation here. So we were We died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him to walk in a new life. So when I know this, I will live this. Now that I know who I am and what happened, it impacts how I live. It's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge that's empowered by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Because God, when he looks at us who are Christians, he sees us just as righteous as he sees his son. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness or his perfection so that when God looks at us, we look just as perfect, just as righteous as his son. That's justification. He declares us righteous. So I got to know who I am and what I am. But not only that, he not only sees me like he sees Jesus. John 17 says that he loves me the way he loves Jesus. That's what Jesus says, that my father loves you even as he has loved me. Because I'm so intertangled and and, and, and brought together in Christ that that as God sees the righteousness on Jesus, he sees it on me. As God loves his son, he loves me. As God accepts his son, he accepts me in the beloved. So when I get a hold of that, it's transformative. So when we go to the death, burial, and resurrection, don't you know you died with him? Don't you know you were buried with him? Don't you know you were raised with him? And it ought to show up in how you live your life. A new life, a new walk. I know we're going to dance in a moment. We're going to shout. But if you don't have a reason to dance and a reason to shout, your dancing and shouting is just performance. It's weak. But man, when you know why, when you know that your Redeemer lives, It changes how you live, it changes how you worship, it changes how you dance, and I'm going to prove that in a moment. I want to introduce you to a word called vicarious, vicarious. Vicarious means to live life through someone else's experiences, vicarious. A lot of parents do that with their kids. If you never went to college, but your kids went to college, you're living vicariously through them. Uh, through their experience, it's becoming your experience, even though you haven't taken one class or signed up for one class. You're living vicariously through your kids because you're so proud of them. So vicarious is to live through someone else's experiences. So what happened to Jesus physically happened to us spiritually. What happened to him happened to us Even though we didn't die on Calvary, nor were we buried in a tomb, nor did we get up on the third day in Jerusalem. But as far as God is concerned, yes, it did from a spiritual place. Okay, I see I'm still not getting through. I'm not getting through. Let me try it this way. Let me try it this way. Um, You may have a favorite sport. Baseball, football, basketball, tennis, hockey, whatever. And you have a team that you like or or, uh, an individual that you like. And uh, you go out and you buy the jersey for the team. You go out and you buy the hat for the team. And and you go out and you buy tickets, season tickets. You go and watch your team play. Uh, You've never played on the court, on the field, but yet you walk around talking about my team. Uh, Let let me go a little further here. who are we going to draft in the draft? We. We. Uh, um, you, you know, we, we lost a, a, a tough one the other day. We, we lost a tough one. We. You didn't play, but you're claiming them vicariously that what they went through, you're going through. So that when your team loses, you feel the loss. So that when your team wins and you go around talking about, we won. Man, you don't know the end zone from this side to the goalpost. We won. You didn't play. You weren't in practice. You weren't in the weight room. You weren't in the study halls in the room. But we won. And it's even better. When one of those players from the team get on the press and, and they say, I want to thank the city and all of the fans because we won a big one today. Well, they didn't play today, but that player is saying we were doing it together. That's a vicarious experience. And so that's why God says, um, I'm going to suit you up. I'm going to put you on my team called the victors Uh, I'm going to take you out of darkness and into light and what happens with my son what he did for you all the suffering, the sacrificing that he did to bring you to this place of being victorious he now says you're an overcomer so now I can say we are overcomers and vicariously I can accept it spiritually which leads to me living it naturally in the flesh because I know who I am and whose I am we won because he got up. What good is me getting up in here preaching and sweating about he got up, he got up, he got up, and you haven't gotten up in your lifestyle yet? What good is that? We know he got up, but is there proof that he got up in your life and in my life that you walk differently? In order to illustrate this, let's go over to Luke chapter 17. There's a different walk here. There's a different walk. The newness of life. Life there is Zoe, which speaks of the life that is inherent within God Himself. This is just not life as far as I'm alive. No, no, this is God's life operating in a believer. Walking, conducting yourself in newness of life. And here's what I want you to know about this walk. It is a process. It is a process. Walking in newness of life is a process. It is not perfection. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man, any woman, any person be in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old has passed and behold, all things become what? New, new, new. new. And that word new in 2 Corinthians 5 is in the perfect tense, which means it's something that happened at at a point in time. You became new. I became new in 1984. But perfect tense says it's something that happened at a point of time, but it still has ramifications to this day. There's ongoing newness, but it starts at a point. Does anybody have that testimony? Yeah. That you got born again at a point, you became a new creation. Not perfect, but new. And because of that, uh, there's been newness happening in your life ever since. That's walking in newness of life. It's a process. And let's look at these uh, lepers here. In Luke 17, as we get ready to take it home, Luke 17, Jesus is going to heal 10 lepers. There's a colony of lepers hanging out. There are Jewish lepers and there are Samaritan lepers. And they're hanging out together. Misery is able to knock down walls of racism many times better than the gospel can uh, as far as Christians are concerned. So these different kinds of people who normally despise each other, they've got something in common called leprosy. Leprosy brought them together across their racial, religious, and ethnic bounds. They formed a colony, and they heard that Jesus was coming. We're going to read what happened in a moment. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus healed many lepers in his three and a half years of earthly ministry. He healed many lepers. Most of the time, he healed them instantaneously. Okay? He would heal them instantaneously. Boom. This time, he's healing them in a process. Some of us, dare I say, few of us, have been delivered from things instantaneously. My friend who said he got caught up in the drug life, that God delivered him from drugs, addiction to drugs. And many of us in this room have that testimony that he delivered me from alcoholism, he delivered me from heroin, cocaine, he delivered me from nicotine, he delivered me from this. And for some of us, he delivered us instantaneously. But for most of us, the deliverance is a process. I know you don't want to say amen, but I, I know I'm right. It's a process of being delivered. And here we see that he chose to heal some folk in the process. So if you've been healed by God instantaneously, don't you go around boasting and looking down on folks who still in process. Well, you know, when I put them cigarettes down, I haven't picked them back up. Well, he gave you the power to put the cigarettes down. Okay? Don't you judge somebody who's still struggling with them or whatever you're struggling with. Okay? Because we're all in process with something. Okay, you got delivered from this, but what about your mouth? I'm going to mess with y'all now. Y'all, y'all, y'all. Okay, he delivered you from this, but what about that porn you checking out on your computer when ain't nobody looking? Okay, he delivered you from this, but what about that coveting spirit you have that when somebody else gets blessed, you keep talking about, well, you know, they ain't all that. I wish I had what they, whatever. We all are in process. And so these lepers, man, here's the first thing I want you to see, that walking in newness of life means hearing what Jesus said. Verse 11 of Luke 17, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Y'all see the exclamation there? They're screaming for help from God. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So hear what he said. Go, show yourself to the priest. Now, that may not seem like a whole lot of word, but that was a word. You know how you come to church and you keep waiting. I- I'm coming for a word. Well, you would missed the word because you're waiting for this big word. Jesus has spoken. They cry out, Master, have mercy on us. In other words, heal us, help us. We know that you can. Jesus says, go. Show yourself to the priest. What does that mean? Well, in that culture, especially for the Hebrew people, that if you had any kind of skin lesions and diseases and things like that, in order to be declared clean, to become a part of the community again, because maybe you got healed by God or through natural circumstances, you had to go to the priest who acted like a doctor, if you will, who had to examine your flesh and give you a grade A bill of health, allowing you and empowering you and permitting you to get back into community with everybody. So you just couldn't say you were healed and you didn't stop by the priest's office. So Jesus says, go to the priest's. So what he's saying is, I'm going to heal you without saying I'm going to heal you. Uh, uh, go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says they heard what Jesus said. So the first thing we see about walking in new- newness of life is that you got to hear what Jesus is saying. And then after you hear what Jesus is saying, then you got to do what Jesus said. That's the second thing. Because uh, 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 faith without works is dead. Don't just be hearers of the word when you amen on Sunday. Be doers of the word when you put it into practice on Monday. So, so, so they did what he said, and they didn't ask him to repeat himself. They didn't ask him, can you clarify what you said? One of them didn't come up and say, well, I have a little bit of Bible degree, and I just want to challenge you on what you said. Oh, no, no, no. They were desperate, and they knew he was the deliverer. And they did what he said. They didn't lean on their own understanding. They acknowledged him in all of their ways. They trusted him with all their heart, and they took off walking towards the priests. So walking in newness of life means you hear what Jesus said. It also means that you do what Jesus said. The Bible says that, so they went, and they were cleansed. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed, which means, again, their cleansing was a process. With each step, they were getting healed. With each step, they were getting delivered. Once again, this is a process. This is not perfection. So as they were making their way to the priest, they would take a step and they would still be part diseased. Then they take another step and they would be part delivered. They would take another step and they would still be unclean because of the leprosy. They take another step and they would become clean because of God's healing power. Their deliverance was in a process until they got to the place where the priest was. So once they got to the place, once they got to the priest, the priest could declare that they were clean. So as we walk with God, we are all in a process until we get there. We are all in a process until we are made clean and made whole and made well. We are all in a process where when I take a step, man, I'm still a sinner. But when I take another step, I'm still a saint. Uh, I take a step, man, and I'm wretched. Man, I, oh, look, but I take another step, I'm reminded that I'm righteous. I'm still in this process. Man, I take a step and I'm reminded that I'm still corrupted and corruptible. Oh, wretched man that I am. But then I take another step and I realize that I'm Christ-like. I take one step and I realize, man, I'm still hood and I could hurt somebody up in this grocery store. Then I take another step and I realize that I'm holy. So that's the walk. That's the walk. And every step that I take, The Lord is with me in this process of sanctification. I won't be perfect till I get there. But he knows that I'm imperfect, but he also knows that I'm the righteousness of God. He knows all this about me. So now that I know, it sets me free from guilt tripping myself. Oh, I failed again. That's why his mercies are new every morning. That's why when sin abounds, grace superabounds. And if that grace doesn't transform you, you might not have really tasted grace. You might still be sipping on some grease, thinking that you could just keep sliding by, sliding by. But grace will appear teaching you to say no to this mess that you keep saying yes to. It's a process. And I won't get there until I get there. Oh, I got to let you know that Bobby Brown was right. Every little step I take, you will be there. Every little move I make, we'll be together. And I'ma do it like Bobby. Every little step I take, you will be there. Every little move I make, we'll be together, Jesus. You ain't gonna throw me away, cause I messed up again. I know some of y'all missed that. (laughs) So let me hit you with this one. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. Uh, And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. We are a multicultural church. We hit you with Bobby. We hit you with the hymns. But finally, walking in newness of life means not only hearing what Jesus said and doing what Jesus said, but also believing what Jesus said. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, But where are the nine? In other words, Jesus said, there should be 10 of y'all up in here giving praise. Only one of y'all came to give praise. And then he says in verse 18, were there not any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So, so, so they went to the priest as evidence that they had been healed by the high priest, Jesus. One of them came back. The other nine went about their way, you know, just, just starting to live life. But one of them said, I got to go back. You're growing as a believer when you just don't receive from God. But you make it a point to give to God. And right now I'm not talking about money. Right now I'm not even talking about giving your life. I'm talking about giving God something here that you're going to be giving him throughout all eternity. And that's called your praise. He came back and fell on his face in front of Jesus. Giving glory to God, which means that Jesus is God in the flesh because Jesus didn't turn him away. He received that worship. He received that thanks. And that man was on his face. And Jesus says, okay, okay, I'll tell you what. Since you came back, I'm going to give you a little more. I healed their bodies. I healed your body. But now I'm going to heal your soul. Because Jesus then says to him, your faith has made you well. King James, your faith has made you whole. That word in the Greek is sozo, where we get the word salvation from. So, what he's saying is, you came back, uh huh. So, now I'm going to save your soul, not just heal your body, I'm going to save your soul. So, you talk about a new walk. Homeboy got healed on the outside, and now he's been healed on the inside. That's a newness of walk. And I just wonder about us. Some of us are too he to, to lift a hand to God some of us are too self-absorbed to give God praise but my buddy who cut my hair again took over an hour to cut my hair because he busy praising God in his kitchen because he know where he was so now that you know live like you believe because I could have been dead sleeping in my grave. But he made old death step back and behave. Ain't no rock gonna cry out in my place. I'm gonna give him praise because I could have died in them streets of Baltimore myself. Because the God I serve, uh, he brought me from a mighty long way. I'm a new person and I'm walking this thing in process and the things I used to do. I don't do no more. The places I used to go, I don't what? The things I used to say, I don't say no more. Because Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me, that's what? That's love. They hung him high They stretched him wide, he hung his head. For me, he died, that's what? That's love. So as the old Baptist preacher would say, Jesus died on Friday. Hit me, fellas. You ready, fellas? Here we go, here we go. Jesus died on Friday. Oh, it was a black Friday. It was a dark Friday. It was a lonely Friday when Jesus died in Oh, he died. He hung his head and he died. Then on Saturday, they placed his body in a tomb. I said on Saturday, they placed his body in a tomb. He all day. Saturday, but early, I said early, early, early on Sunday morning, Jesus, help me Will, got up with all power in his hands. Jesus got up with all authority in his hands. Jesus the Savior of my life and I'm glad to have me a new walk and I even got me a little, you know, something with my new walk because Jesus will give you some swag. He'll touch your soul. And if you accepted Christ today, come shake my hand inside or outside. If you're looking for a church home, come talk to us. We'd love to see if this is the fit for you at Strong Tower. Felicia, come on up and give us our instructions.